we're going to go into the book of Acts. We're still going to be in the ninth chapter. We might do that for a week or two because we want to take a good hard look at Saul. Let's do pray and thank the Lord for where he's brought us. Dear Father, uh, I want to thank you so much from the bottom of each of our hearts. Father, there's no question in any of our minds that your hand is upon this place and that you're moving us in a direction, Father, that, uh, that honestly, Lord, it seems that we can see more clearly. At least I, I seem to see more clearly um, day by day, week by week, as we move on this journey to be a church and to be everything that you want us to be and to reach the people that you have so chosen for us to reach and to do the things that you have asked us to do as a body of believers. And Father, our our intent is for each of us to become um, grounded, if if that's the right way of me saying it, Father, in your word, grounded in the things of Christ, grounded in the people that we see when we study Stephen or we study Philip. Or we took a, take a look at Simon, the magician, and, and how he fell short. And, and, and then the Ethiopian father and how he, is, he did amazing things. And how Philip was obedient to go into the desert, the very desert, uh, just to talk to one, one man. And yet that man, as history tells us, made a great impact on Africa and Ethiopia and the places where he reached And then we take a look now, uh, Father, at Saul. And we see him compared to that certain disciple that you call Ananias. And we compare these men and these women that we study and we compare them so that we see, Father, what made them unique, what made them special. And where did they fall short? And what made them special We pray with all of our hearts, Father, that you will quicken us, teach us through your word so that we'll become like that. And where they have fallen short, Father, we will see that as well and we will not turn our faces from it. We'll look at it straight up and and see if, if you're trying to remind us something that we need to do, something that we need to repent of, something that we need to act upon to make us more and more like your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now tonight, Father, as you well know, we're going to take a look by your grace into the life and the testimony of, of Saul as he comes face to face with your Son, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he recognizes him immediately for who he is. And all the years that he forsake trying to uh, do anything that was disobedient to you, he turned around in a moment time and you moved his heart to you. May we learn from this, please, Father. And take me and move me aside, I beg of you. Hide me, Father, behind the wonders of your most glorious word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me in Acts chapter 9. We've read this section, and I'm going to read it with you um, each week for a while till we become a little more familiar with it. Last week, we spoke that, that Jesus Christ, excuse me, yes, Jesus Christ called Saul, as it says in verse 15 of chapter 9, a chosen instrument of his. 
And what we looked at, and hopefully what you saw, is is the essence of Saul, as we're going to see tonight, was not a good person. He wasn't like someone that you would have said is a candidate to do what he's doing. More Stephen. More Philip. Not Saul. Saul hated Jesus Christ. Saul hated Christianity. Saul hated all those who believed in the Lord. I'll show you in a second. We'll reread what we read last week. But let's read chapter 9. And let's look at verses uh, 3 to 9. It came about that as Saul's journey, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, Who are you, Lord? And Jesus, well, and he said, in verse 5, and he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and it shall be told to you what you must do. The men who traveled with Saul stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And there he was three days without sight, and he neither ate nor did he drink. I reasoned with you last week that this was the the start of, of Saul's movement towards Jesus Christ. This was the start where Saul was fasting neither ate nor drank for three days, fasting, trying to figure out what is going wrong in my life, what have I done so terribly wrong that I have missed the boat by this much, that I've missed the mark by this much. I've not even come close to what I ought to be like. Let's remind ourselves of Saul. Let's remind ourselves of what he said in Acts chapter 26, verses 9, 10, and 11. Turn there, please. In his testimony, as we read last week to King Agrippa, Paul stated his undying hatred for all Christians and Jesus Christ. He says in verse 9 of Acts chapter 26, So then I thought to myself... Now he's sharing this testimony with King Agrippa. I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this, he says in verse 10, is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, he said, I cast my vote against them. In other words, he is as guilty as could be for the death of these people. These believers who have done nothing wrong except that they just believed in Jesus Christ. And so he says in verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues. In other words, it wasn't just one place he went to. He went from place to place to place trying to find believers so that he could punish them. He says in verse 11, 
as it goes on, I tried to force them to blaspheme. In other words, he tried to trick them. He tried to manipulate them to do something, to say something wrong so that he could tell people they blasphemed so that they could be killed. And he says, and being furiously angry with them or enraged with them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Now, I read that to you as I did last week to remind us of where we are now here in Acts chapter 9. Now, where we find Saul is traveling on what is called the road to Damascus. Very famous. Very famous because this is the place that's going to change Saul's life. He was going to Damascus in the hopes that he would find as many Christians as he could find and kill as many Christians as possible. That was his motive for going there. No other reason. No other reason. Just to kill Christians. To put them in jail. To get them off the streets. But as we saw last week, he's about to have a life-changing experience. And what I want you and me to look at is how his life changed. Remember I say over and over again to you and to me as well, uh, it's not important how we started in our faith. It's not. What's important to us at this church is if you're here and you're not certain that you've ever asked Jesus Christ into your heart, what's important to us is that you investigate. Don't come haphazardly. We don't want you to come haphazardly. We want you to investigate. We want you to make a decision on your own for Christ if that's, if that's a desire of your heart so that you would have a statement in your heart of hearts, who is Jesus Christ? What does he mean to each of you individually? Not us as a church, but what does he mean to you? so that you might have a life-changing experience, just as Saul did. Jesus Christ, as we note here, personally, personally met Saul. And Jesus Christ said, as we said in verse 15, when Ananias said, well, do you remember? Let's remind ourselves. Jesus says, I want you to go into the street called Straight, Ananias, and I want you to find a guy who's there by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He is praying. I want you to lay your hands on him. Remember when he said that? He has seen, it says in verse 12, he, see, he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias. In other words, he's seen you in a vision, Ananias, coming in and laying hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias knew the history of Saul. And he answered the Lord in verse 13, saying, Lord, I've heard from many about this guy. How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he now has the authority from the chief priest to bind everyone who calls upon your name. But Jesus said to him the same thing that he says about you and me once we come to Christ. He says, go, because he is, verse 15, what? A chosen instrument of mine. Ananias, knowing what a rascal Saul was, did not stop Jesus Christ from desiring to use Saul. He did not care so much how he began. What he wanted to do was to move Saul into a position where he would finish strong serving him. 
And you'll never find, any of us will ever find anyone who finished more powerfully in his life or ministry than, than Paul. Confronted with the appearance and the blazing glory of Jesus Christ in verses 3, 4, and 5, we see that Saul was so impacted by just the sight of, of Jesus coming in this bright light that he was knocked to the ground, it says. Look again at, at verse 3. And it came about that he was journeying. He approached Damascus and suddenly, suddenly, and by the way, he's traveling in midday. So it was a bright, sunny day more than likely. But suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. And it caused him, it says in verse 4, to fall to the ground. And then he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Those who traveled with Saul heard the voice, but they didn't see nor did they understand what Jesus Christ said. Most likely because... And this is just speculation. But most likely it was because the words that were spoken to Saul were for his ears only. If you want to kind of compare, I want you to see um, verse 7, where it says in verse 7, the men who traveled with him stood speechless. They heard the voice, but they saw no one. Jump ahead. Look at verse chapter 22. Chapter 22 of the same book, book of Acts. And look at verse 9 with me. In verse, verse 9 of chapter 22, it says, Those who were with me, Saul again, Paul here now, is giving testimony of what happened on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 22. And he said, Those who were with me, they saw the light, to be sure, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And so they, they saw the light, but they didn't see anyone. They heard noise, but they didn't understand what was being spoken. Jesus Christ personally, personally came to Saul. Regardless of his past, he'll do the same for you and for me. I want you to note the irony of it all as you go back to Acts chapter 9. The irony of it all is the last person we see in Scripture who says he had seen the resurrected Lord, the resurrected Lord, was none other than Stephen. Stephen says, I see the glory of God standing in the heavens itself. Interestingly enough, the next person that sees the resurrected Lord was Saul. Saul who gave hearty approval, killed Stephen. Very, very interesting. Now, although the Lord doesn't always dramatically um, initiate contact in your life and my life, I, uh, I've never seen a bright, bright light. Um, I've, never seen, I've never seen what I would consider the Lord. I've never heard things. But God does not always dramatically come and initiate contact with us. In John chapter 6, verse 44, I'm going to read it real quickly. If you want to look at it, please do. It says, Jesus says, Nobody can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. It is, it is imperative, folks, 
that you understand something about your faith. It is imperative that you and I understand something about who we are. In Ephesians, I think it's chapter 4. No, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says that you and I are dead. Dead. That means clinically dead. In our trespasses and in our sins. In other words, spiritually speaking, before a person comes to Christ, they are deader than a doornail. And so what happens in that state, God comes and moves within a person's heart. If you've never accepted Christ before, and you're investigating, and every once in a while you feel something something occurring within you, I am here to say to you, by the authority of the Word of God, that God is moving in your heart. He is trying to move you towards Himself. It is necessary that that takes place in all of our lives. Because we are, as Ephesians 2.1 tells us, dead in our trespasses and sins, and we cannot, we are incapable of coming to God on our own. He must draw us. I want you to see this. Look at Romans chapter 3. This is really interesting and really good stuff to comprehend in your faith. If we understand this, and if it is true, you're going to see, and I'm going to see, and we're going to see just how much God loves us, and how much we are called chosen instruments of His. Because He moves in our lives. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 and 11 and 12 say this, As it is written, verse 10, There is none righteous, not even one. That's, that's, that's us. None of us are righteous, not one of us. There is, it says in verse 11, None who understand. There is none who seek for God. Now that's either true or it's not. I believe that is the truth. We do not naturally seek for God. God moves within our hearts and causes us a desire to get to know Him. And some people take it and they take it off into who knows what direction. And that's why it's so important that you and I, within our families, within our circle of friends, within our lives, are able to speak the Word of God so that when that Ethiopian eunuch, remember? When he was reading the book of Isaiah, and when Philip came alongside of him, running alongside of his chariot, remember? And he says, Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, do you understand what you're reading? You see, he wouldn't be able to understand what he's reading on his own. And he says, how can I? Unless somebody guides me, teaches me, leads me. And then he invited Philip on the chariot. And Philip, from where he was reading out of Isaiah, started to explain Jesus Christ to this Ethiopian. He couldn't get it on his own. God had somebody, brought somebody, quickened this man's heart, brought Philip alongside of him so that Philip would move in that man's life so that he might comprehend and accept Christ. 
And when he did, he looked around and he saw some water and he said to Philip, what's preventing me from being baptized? And Philip said, nothing if you believe. But the truth of the matter is, here in Romans 3, in verse 11, nobody understands. We need someone to help lead us. That's what we do in church. You've entrusted me. I I don't know. You've entrusted me with the most precious thing that anyone could ever entrust someone. And I want you to know, I take it very, 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 very seriously. I am fearful absolutely, utterly fearful to the very depth of who I am that I might lead any one of us astray. That's why I don't give you my ideas on faith. That's why I don't give you my philosophy of religion. I go back and I see the saints that that told the truth over the years and has been standard, uh, has uh, lived the, the test of time, and, and, and I say what they say. I have nothing new to give to you. I just, by the grace of God, some of you have said, in fact many, that all of a sudden it makes a sense. That is the kindest thing you can tell me. But I want you to know that I study hard. I sit at my desk and I try with all my heart to find out what is the truth so as to not, by the grace of an almighty God, lead any of us astray. And so there is no one, it says, no one who seeks after God. It says in verse 12, we've all turned aside. Together, we've become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. And so God had to move in the light of Saul so that Saul would come to the light, just as he has done in your life. Maybe not as dramatically, but he's moved in your life. And if you've accepted Christ, He is the one who has called you. He is the one who has named you as a a chosen instrument of His because He drew you out so that you would listen and you responded. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, please don't take lightly what you feel in your heart when you hear the Word of God. It's our Lord calling you, calling you to come to Him. In 1 Corinthians, you can turn back to Acts chapter 9, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes this. He says, the natural man, the natural man is someone that's not a, not a, a, has no faith in Christ. The natural man, he says, doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God because, he says, for the natural man, another per, a, a person that doesn't believe the things that you and I believe, the things that we study here in church, to them, to the natural man, it says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, their foolishness, these things that you and I are studying, they think, people think that you and I are fools for coming and spending an hour of our time hearing about the things of God. It's foolishness to them. They can't understand them. And so our Lord's words in in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, when He asks Saul, why are you persecuting me? That reflects the inseparable link between you and God. God takes it very personally when any one of us hurts someone else within the faith. He shows us here through Saul, dramatically I might say, 
that no insult, no pain, no tragedy that you and I go through here on earth goes unfelt by God in heaven. He knows what you're going through. It it might look like He doesn't act upon it. It might look like He's not doing what you'd hope He'd do. But He knows. He has His hand upon you. just doesn't look like it sometimes. Now, up to this point... Up to this point, up to verse 4, when Saul persecuted believers, when Saul persecuted the church, he did not realize that he was inflicting pain directly upon the Lord. Now he does. Now it's come to light. This is why he is fasting. This is why he is not drinking nor eating and praying. He is trying to figure it all out. You see, Saul was brought face to face with the enormity of his crimes. Now, listen, catch this good. Not his crime against Christians. We've already read that. Jesus didn't say, Saul, why are you persecuting these dear people whom I love? Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting who? Me. Me, Jesus said. Try to comprehend this, please. Ultimately, it isn't the crimes of sins that are done against society. In other words, it's not the sins that we do against others that matters so much. Oh, they're important. But what you and I and what the world is held accountable to is the rejection of Jesus Christ. Hear me. What everyone is held accountable to isn't the things they do against others. It's the things that they do to reject Jesus Christ. Because He is the only one who can take yours and my, our sins away and... He is the only one who can move us from being someone who has no regard for Him to all of a sudden being someone who takes takes seed, it goes into our hearts, and it produces good soil. It produces fruit. He does that. You and I don't do it. It's not the magical words that any preacher might do that will change anyone. It is the Lord's Word that will move within your life and in my life and will change our hearts. And only He can do that. Only He can take your sins away. Only He can change your heart. Listen, all right, turn, turn to John chapter 16. Hold your place here. Look at John chapter 16. Listen to our Lord's words. This is very serious what I'm trying to say to you tonight. Jesus says in John chapter 16 and verse 7, 8, and 9. Look, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. He was going to tell him that he is going away. And where he was going, he was saying, right now, you cannot follow me. You can't come with me now. But he says, you'll come later. So he says, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's good that I go away. It's to your advantage. He says, because if I didn't go away, the Helper, in other words, the Holy Spirit, won't come to you. But if I go, 
I'm going to send him to you. And he, verse 8, look at it. When he comes, he's going to convict the world of three things. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, now mark it because we're not going to look any further than verse 9. Concerning sin, what sin? Because they do not what? Same thing he said to Saul. Saul, why are you persecuting me? The problem with sin is, is because they do not believe in me. The issue is Jesus Christ. It always has been. It always will be. In the Old Testament, they didn't recognize or know his name, but they knew the Messiah was coming. And they looked forward to his coming. And they looked forward to one day he was going to come. And when he came, he went to the cross And he died on the cross for our sins. And he rose from the dead after three days. And now you and I today in the New Testament, we look back at the cross and the Old Testament people and the New Testament people. We all meet at the cross because that's where the Savior is. And that's where he shed his blood so as to forgive you and me of our sins. Only he could do that. So when he says in verse 9 of John 16 concerning sin because they don't, Believe in me. You'll note, sin is not the crimes that are committed against society. The sin is this. That the fact that the people refuse to believe in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Lord. You see, true salvation, as Saul learned beautifully, must include this one conviction. That without Jesus Christ, we are lost. Hopelessly lost. Now, since it is this very sin that ultimately separates a man from God, and ultimately does not allow our sins that we do do against society to be forgiven, whatever they might be, Saul's immediate response when he heard this is he asked him, Who are you, Lord? I've persecuted you. Who are you? But he calls him Lord. When he called him Lord, folks, that was a total recognition that whoever was speaking to him and whoever he was asking the question of had to be God. He knew that much. He called him Lord. And you can almost feel, if you have any sensitivity in your heart at all, Saul's pain. Because Saul's worst nightmare has just come to pass. He discovers that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's just discovered that Christianity, the very thing that he's trying to wipe off the face of this earth, that believers, the very people he's having killed, that the gospel that they preached, that Jesus Christ lived, that he died, that he rose again from the dead. Lo and behold, Paul or Saul just realized that he had been fighting of all things against this all of his life, his adult life. He persecuted them. He tried to trick them into blaspheming. And he chose to have them killed. And all of a sudden, he's realizing... Oh my gosh, I'm wrong. I'm dead wrong. And so when Saul heard the words in verse 5, I'm Jesus, I'm I'm Jesus, I'm I'm the one whom you're persecuting. The truth was confirmed in his very soul. 
Jesus, who he believed was dead and gone, was obviously alive. Jesus, who he believed to be dead and gone, obviously was exactly who he claimed to be. Jesus, whom Saul rejected, was the Messiah. He was the Lord. Listen to Saul's heart. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is Saul's heart when he was now Paul and when he had been serving the Lord for for many years. Again, he gives his testimony. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13, he says, Even though, even though, folks, I was formerly a blasphemer. Even though, I'm reading it kind of with some sort of emphasis. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, even though I was a persecutor, even though I was a violent aggressor, yet, yet, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And he says in verse 14, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. He says this is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom, Paul says, I am foremost of all. I'm telling you, he was a bad person. He was a bad person. And his, his credit is, he realized it. And he knew he needed a Savior to repent. And he says, yet... For this reason, verse 16, yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, in other words, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Remember I told you, remember I told you, it's hard for me to look at Jesus because I can't quite get my arms around him and it's hard for me to conform myself into the image of Christ. But I can Paul, I can Paul because Paul confesses I, I, I was the chief sinner, and yet I was given grace. I was, I was saved as, as so as to be, as it says in verse 16, an example for you, John, for you who believe in, in Christ for eternal life. I'm your example. I'm your standard. When you think you can't do it, you can. I'm your example, he is saying. Then he says in verse 17, to the king eternal, immoral, immortal. How about that for a mistake? To the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God that be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The only God, folks. There's so much, so much in Scripture. Now, as you go back to, let's close in in Acts chapter 9 and verses 6, 7, and 8 and 9. It shows us the new heart of Saul, the genuineness of his confession. It it immediately becomes evident. I I believe with all of my heart, when you come to Christ, there is a change in your life immediately. I I just believe that. Now, some quicker than others, so we can't compare. In other words, you can't have a litmus test and say, well, uh, this guy's not growing as fast as that lady, or that lady's not growing as fast as this woman. Uh, It's not a litmus test, but I believe the moment you come to Christ, something changes in your heart. I can only give testimony that it did in my heart. That's all I know. When Paul asked, what shall I do, Lord? What, 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 what should I do? And Jesus said in Acts 26, verses 16, 17, 18, I want you to get up. 
I want you to stand on your feet. Let's look at it, please. Look at Acts chapter 26. The reason I want, to, I want to look at it is because, and this is right near the end. The reason I want to look at it is because I think we see reason why the Lord chose to blind him for a while. To, to make his eyes darkened. And he explains it here in Acts chapter 26, verses 16, 17, and 18. Jesus says, after, after Paul said, what should I do? He says, get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you. To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you've seen, but also to the things which I will appear to you. In other words, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You are, he says in verse 17, I am rescuing you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Here it is, verse 18. I want you to open their eyes. I want you to open their eyes. And Paul's thinking with all of his heart, I, I, I think I know what he's thinking. I'm blinder than a bat. I can't see. And he's asking me to open their eyes. And can you not sense the fear that must have been going through his mind? He said, I'm going to be blind the rest of my life. He said, I want you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, so that they may turn from the dominion of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of their sins, so they may receive an inheritance amongst those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Saul's surrender to Jesus Christ was complete at that moment in time, I tell you. He was humbly submitting himself to the will of the Lord, whom up to that point, after that very instant, he hated. Saul called Jesus Christ Lord from the moment of his conversion to the end of his life. You see, listen, this is as good as, it, as anything we're going to hear. Most people desire in our salvation as Jesus' Savior, we want Him to be our Savior so that we can go to heaven and not go, please, to hell. But most of us never give Him the Lordship of our lives, never allow Him to be Lord over us, doing as He's asked us to do. God brought Saul from the ashes of his old life, wanting to kill people, Christians, to arise to become one of the noblest, one of the most useful persons of God the church has ever known. He's, he's a hero to us. He must be. And why, why did God do that? I'll tell you why. Because God called him out to be a chosen instrument of his, just as he has you and me. We're no different than Saul. And Saul responded by calling Jesus Christ his Lord. He did that the rest of his life. Not so important how you start. How do you finish? Listen, Paul did not... For those of you that think it's all about religion, Paul didn't need to get more religious. You couldn't be more religious than Paul. Religion wasn't what set Paul free. What set Paul free was a relationship. It was a commitment that he made one to one to God through the person of Jesus Christ. What he received is a relationship. What you and I must have is a relationship. If you make a decision for Christ, say for tonight, not, not to come to know him, let's say you've already done that. 
But let's say you make a decision to Christ to walk with Him. Don't let anybody force you to do it. Don't let anybody coerce you into being, you know, the kind of Christian that they want you to be. You be the person that God's called you to be. And I make this promise to you. If you and I do that, if we do that, we'll very, very, it'll be very unlikely that we'll fall away from the trust that we have in Christ. Because it'll be yours. It won't be mine who gives it to you. It won't be someone else who coerces you into following God. It'll be your decision. Much as I said to the Lord 33 years ago, when my friend said, I don't want to see you anymore, and I walked away from there, I said, not knowing the the impact of it, Lord, if it's just you and me the rest of my life, that'll be enough. That was my choice to make those words. I, I, I meant them. They've carried me through some very, very difficult times. I'm praying that they will again. If it's just me and Him, be enough. Now, you haven't made me do that. That's my decision. I'll stand by it. You too will have to make a decision. A personal decision to make Jesus Christ your Lord. A personal decision to follow Him. Personal decision to be the person that God's called you to be. Nobody can make you do it. See, Christianity isn't a religion. It's a commitment. It's a relationship. It is yours. It can't be ours. Collectively, it's ours. But when it boils down to you putting your your head on the pillow tonight and you're all alone, it's your decision to walk with Him. To love Him. Saul, I'm telling you, when we look at his life, you're going to have so much fun with me looking at Paul. Man, he is amazing. Nothing, nothing could sway him from the fact that he loved Jesus Christ. You know why? Came to him on his own volition. It was his choice. Make it yours. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this evening. You're kind. Thanks for Saul. Thank you that he was a rascal, Father. Not not that he that he was a rascal. I, I don't mean that. You know I don't, Father. What I mean is thank you that, that I can see that he fell short and he lived his life as an example for people like me who fall short and need the assurance of my faith because of, of who I am not, of how short I fall. And yet, like Saul, I can get myself up off the ground I can start again. Ask you to forgive me where need be. Ask you to make me into the type of person you've created me to be. And Father, then I can make a decision on my own to walk with you. And then, Father, no one will be able to to move me away from it. It'll be my own personal commitment to you. I pray that everybody here comprehends that, Father. That our... Our life with you, our walk with you will be very personal. Now, thank you for everybody here. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Father, you know, I tell them every week I love them. And I tell them, no, I tell you that I love them when they never hear me. And so I say it out loud. I love them so much, Father. Thank you for every person. Bless them, please. Bless us all. Our family, our loved ones, bless us all. I thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love you.
Have a great night, and I'll see you next week.